you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from the com. The com. Hey, we're coming here with another great podcast. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Thanks for being here with us. We got another brilliant author with an adventurous story. I think that's going to blow your mind. This is going to be a lot of fun, actually. Normally, we do politics and news and all this sort of good stuff. This is going to be an interesting book author we're going to be talking to about his latest book that's come out May 14th, 2021. The title of the book is called Tiger in the Sea. The Ditching of Flying Tiger 923 and the Desperate Struggle for Survival. The author's name is Eric Lindner, and we're going to be talking to him about his book. In the meantime, go see us on YouTube. You can see the whole video version of this, and uh, you can also see us at Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, all the groups we have over there, goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss. Hit the bell notification on youtube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, and uh, follow us over there and everything that we're doing. And this episode is brought to you by a sponsor, ifi-audio.com and their micro idsd signature it's a top of the range desktop transportable DAC and headphone app that will supercharge your headphones it has two brown burr DAC chips in it and will decode high-res audio and mqa files we're using it in the studio right now i've loved my experience with it so far it just makes everything sound so much more richer and better and takes things to the next level ifi audio is an award-winning audio tech company with one aim in mind to improve your music enjoyment of quality sound eradicate noise distortion and hiss from your listening experience Check out their new incredible lineup of DACs and audio enhancement devices at ifi-audio.com. So we've got a chance to pull him into the show. It's Eric Lindner. He is a hospice volunteer helping patients cope with the reality of dying. His book, Hospice Voices, Lessons for Living at the End of Life, was critically acclaimed by leading doctors and caregivers, NPR, BBC, Washington Independent Review of Books, Publishers Weekly, and Bookless, Rebecca Vinuk. I'm not sure if I pronounced it correctly, so my apologies. Who named it one of 2013's five best memoirs? Since 2015, the attorney, businessman, and D.C. native has been teaching ethics in action at Georgetown University, a course that dissects the NASA Challenger disaster. He's married to Captain Murray's daughter. They live on California's Central Coast. Welcome to the show, Eric. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome sauce. Wow. There's a whole pack load of stuff just in that bio alone I need to ask you about. But give us your plugs so people can find you on the interwebs. Thank you. The, the plugs are we are on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and uh, website tigerinthesea.com. We have all the buy buttons, all the retailers, all the vendors. Thank you for that. And it just came out May 14th, so you guys can pick it up at your fine retailers. So what motivated you want to write this book, Eric? What motivated me to write it was a sense of curiosity, intrigue, and then it, it kind of morphed into injustice. The how I got to it was my uh, relationship with the family, but the why was was really that sense of intrigue and injustice. As I've said before, my mother was hired by the CIA in 48. I haven't written a book about her, but I've written a book about my wife's father because there was, it was a really remarkable story. 
Yeah. Do you want to plug that book? The name of it? Uh, Tiger in the Sea. Uh, oh, Don. yeah. Oh, that's Tiger in the Sea. Yeah. Okay. I was I got confused. I was thinking maybe your prior book, yeah. but uh, so this is a, a story close to your heart, basically. It's very close to my heart. Yes. Yeah. And is that how you discovered the story? I did discover it. I first discovered it over Thanksgiving or something at a family reunion, and then but it I didn't think about uh, doing anything with it for twenty years or something probably until uh, I was sitting down with my publisher and he told me you got to write this you got you got to write the story. Got to write. Yeah. This. Yeah. There you go. So give us the breakdown. Give us the overarching breakdown of what this book is about and what. I think the overarching breakdown is, like say, it's like a four-act play. There's a problems in the air. There's problems in the water. There's problems with the bureaucrats, if you will, and the and investigation. And then there's all the after effects. There's the psychological issues. There's the PTSD issues. And there's the revisionist histories and stolen. So it's a four-act play and it follows a bunch of uh, a bunch of people, responders, crew, crew members, passengers, and, and follows a representative sample of them. as best mm-hmm. as a sample. Now, was this a airlines? It was. It was a commercial airline that was formed based on the military flying tigers that were formed in 1941 to fight against Imperial Japan. And so this was an airline that was just doing normal commercial service in the act of when this well, episode happened? I, I, I think... The Flying Tigers probably didn't do a whole lot of normal of anything. I think that <laughs> pilots would say that. They, this, they were flying. This was a, an Army. This was an Air Force contract, mostly Army on board, paratroopers fresh out of jump school, but it had some civilians and dependents on board. So it was a contract with the uh, Military Air Transport Service, which is a, a unit of the Army uh, Air Force. Yeah, it, but it was a technically a civilian flight, a civilian airline. And uh, that's one of the complications because then you had the military and civilian and the Coast Guard and everybody and their brother uh, was claiming jurisdiction on this flight. Oh, wow. Wow. Give us a rundown. I'm looking at the thing here in September. This is September 62 is when this took place. Right. September 23rd, 1962, took off from McGuire Air Force Base, which is right next to Fort Dix in New Jersey, flew up to Gander. Uh, Pilot Captain Murray deadheaded up from Newark because FAA wouldn't allow a a continuous flight after a certain period of time. He, he climbed on board in Gander, Newfoundland, and was headed to Frankfurt and just past the point of no return to find as you're too far to go before you can go back. Problems developed in the air and all sorts of problems, one after the other. Mm-hmm. So they end up basically bailing or dishing right into the Atlantic Ocean then? They, they did. They encountered engine problems and icing before that and hail, and they ended up having to make an emergency, what's called a, quote, controlled water landing. That's the uh, term of art or the technical term. Yeah, controlled water landing. That sounds like something that's supposed to give me comfort, but thinking about what the reality of that is gives me no comfort whatsoever. It gives me nightmares. Right. Controlled water landing. I know. I talk about euphemism. Don't worry. Don't worry. This isn't going to (laughs) hurt. Don't worry. This isn't going to hurt. So this is pretty interesting. So you talk about the adventure they go on, this whole adventure from beginning to end. But I imagine what happens when they, you can't tell us everything about the book, but what can we tease out that happens that's uh it's an interesting look into what into well, how people react as they hit the water. I guess I've said, I've, I've put it in this perspective once, this context, that people thought the ditching uh, was, uh, if they survived the ditching, it was going to be a miracle. Everyone expected to die. And I've said it's a little bit like the Wizard of Oz. Once the witch was killed, they said, oh, great, the witch is, witch is gone. They said, no, she's got a sister, and the sister's worse. And that was hitting the water. That oh, was wow. Water. Yeah. Wow. 
And so there's 68 passengers on board and then four flight attendants and four crew members, uh, flight engineer, navigator, uh, pilot Murray and co-pilot Jim Parker. Wow. Wow. And what happens next? Or do you want to tease what happens next? I'll leave it up to you. I don't want to give away the whole book. I think what happens next is there's a great quote, Zulu quote that Nelson Mandela cited in his book. It is, let your courage rise to the level of danger. And there was such danger that everyone on board from nine-year-old children to 54-year-old women retired to high school, the, the courage rose up. And sometimes it was not the special forces guys the young, tough jump school guys. It was the uh, the retired 54-year-old school teacher who was the confident, the really inspiring morale. So mm-hmm. it, it, people from all walks of life really rose to the level of danger. It was a remarkable display of courage. Now, other than the family that you married into, what other, were you able to interview any of the other survivors of this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interview, interviewed, I think, uh, a total of 131 separate people, over 1,700 separate interviews. And that included a number of survivors, crew members, rescuers, all of in, in Germany, in Switzerland, Canada, the United Kingdom, all across the U.S., pretty much. Did the planes start to sink? plane sank at different estimates of the time. It was probably seven to eight minutes. Wow. Uh, so everyone got off. It was badly damaged, which is natural hit in the water, 20-foot waves, serrated waves, uh, 120 miles an hour. It's like the, the physics of hitting concrete. But it stayed up long enough for Murray, which was his duty as the captain, to make sure everyone got off to search that plane, even though it was flooding and freezing. And he was knocked out on impact to make sure that everyone got off before he uh, tried to get off. Wow. That's crazy. And it's uh, the title here, uh, Tiger in the Sea is a gripping tale of triumph, tragedy, unparalleled airmanship, and incredibly uh, brave people from all walks of life. Wow. That's, this sounds like a gripping tale to take and listen to. And uh, it, there's some murky Cold War politics throughout this that you would discover. What, if you want to tell us a little bit about that. Sure. It's the, I tried to make this all about, uh, and try, this is the story of the people who are on board. This is their real, I just tried to be a scribe. But I, when I searched for the records, the National Archives is a gigantic complex outside Maryland, NA2, National Archives, uh, they have bunkers. All, and I, I pulled the actual files and they were all gone. And oh, I went wow. to the uh, physically. So I was there. I was there. I went there to the head of their archival guy who was formerly head of the archives at the White House. And all, he knew what he's. And I, I said, hey, there's a big empty spot here. And he said, oh, that's strange. That sounds like the CIA. That was his first reaction. <laughs> and so I called my mom. I called my mom. My mom is 95. Hi, mom. She's about nine, She was 93, 92 at that time. And I said, Mom, I just came to the National Archives and your former employers, something happened to, to the files you should air. I want to tell you two things. First of all, I wasn't responsible for stealing them. And two, if the agency took them, you'll never find them. Wow. I've never found them. No, wow. no, one's, ever, no one's ever found them. Why would the CIA be interested in this? I don't know the CIA, but this was the experts. Uh, oh. the, the Flying Tigers flew a lot of CIA planes. In fact, uh, John Murray, uh, Captain Murray, flew uh, CIA black ops. There's stuff going on at the time, the Cuban Missile Crisis, Lockheed U-2s were, were there at the same time. But it's hard to know why, uh, and I don't know if it was the CIA, because there are a lot of questionable loopholes regarding safety procedures and procurement and things of that nature. There are a lot of 
people with motives to take it. And Sandy Berger, the former national security advisor for President Clinton, had no problem removing files not too long ago. So in 1960s, the files uh, were pretty much you could walk in, remove them, show a card and he didn't have digital checks. And so no one is sure that was his opinion that the CIA took them. But they did fly the, the Flying Tigers, Black Ops. You may know this Black Ops. The term Black Ops came from they used to paint flat black under the fuselage of the Flying Tigers plane so it didn't reflect moonlight. That's where the Black Ops uh, term comes. They were they wow. They could fly I in. did not know that. I, I didn't know it either. There was a former Marine, Dick Rodriguez, who flew uh, Super Connies in Vietnam. It flew a military version. And yeah, the, he said that's where it comes from. Black Ops, the painted flak flaps so that wouldn't reflect the moonlight. I learned something new every day on the show. I love it. I love more than one thing for this show. So it was most of the research you had to rely on. Was that just by interviews and your in your family story? Or was there any other documentation you found elsewhere? There were probably three, three-legged stool. One was all the 1,700 or so you know, interviews. Two was there were smatterings of official reports. And it, there was, there is, believe it or not, even though Switzerland is landlocked, there's a, there's Swiss, Swiss rescuers had an official report. There was a Canadian report in the museum in Toronto. There were RAF reports. So piecing together these reports, Coast Guard had a report that was not in the National Archives. But I lucked out with some, my, my wife and her family and uh, some of the other survivors had squirreled away reports, literally hid them away. And they were found after the survivors died as if, if I'm, if I'm gone, you can find these. And so one of them, the biggest trove of that was the actual hearings, three days hearings in, in New York, trying to determine the cause of uh, 32 hours. That's longer than the typical Supreme Court justice. These were found in a cupboard in a dentist's office in Santa Monica, California, three or four years after one of the survivors died. His children didn't know about it. Wow. So, so it's like another record was found, which was not in the file, was found in a hangar in Alaska. It was found in a hangar in Alaska. Holy crap. It's, like, it's, it's X-Files. It's really X-Files stuff. It's wow. Maybe it was like a CIA flight. Was this owned by the CIA? Or? No, it wasn't owned by the CIA, but they really did do a lot of CIA. Some of the people, I couldn't find a direct causal link, but clearly the Flying Tires did a lot of contract work for the Pentagon, a lot of work for the, for the there was a, a CNN reported May 15th, 1962, there were four Superconti crashes. One of them was a secret flight and uh, they just acknowledge it in Maine. 93 uh, Army Rangers went down. They never found anything, one of the largest searches in history. So a lot of, as one of the survivors said, who was, was an 82nd Airborne, who worked for Stars and Stripes afterwards, he said, I worked work in the office of Stars and Stripes, and the Soviets would come into our office, and we would go in the Soviets' office. And the Soviets were always watching the Air Force planes. Uh -huh but they wouldn't pay any attention to the civilian planes. And he said, that's why I think we were on a civilian flight. So oh. we slipped in 30 paratroopers. Who, who knows why? The records aren't available to, to come over. So maybe I had 10 access to 15% of the total forensics. I didn't have every single survivor, every single rescuer. There were 61 planes and ships involved. Mm -hmm. They took affidavits from every one of them. None of them are still surviving. They're all gone. Wow. It sounds like this is a... It sounds like this was a back then did when they ditched planes in the ocean, they didn't have a high survival rate, I think historically, no, right? No, no, no one ever, no one ever. This was called the first, the first successful, meaning everyone got off the plane. That's all a captain can really do. Get them yeah. down, get them off the plane and alive. And he did 
There's, there had never been a successful ditching uh, in the Atlantic in violent, in violent seas ever. Wow. And, and then it was phase two, which was the safety rafts, life preservers, life vests, all that stuff. And they were, the problem started a thousand miles from land. They landed again, crazy. They hit the water 580 miles from shore. So no one was around. No ships could see, no ships knew where they were. No planes knew where they were. There were no lights. It was a dark night. The water was 48 degrees. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. Yeah. And they had to survive until the ships and everything came to save them. Crazy, man. What have we covered in the story that you think we can tease out to listeners? Oh, golly. I think I know, again, the, uh, the, uh, one of the interesting things to me is the history where now uh, there's saber rattling or whatever you want to call it. The U.S. and China are, are in, in a call of a diplomatic pre-Klauswitzian argument uh, over uh, certain things, whether it's COVID or whatever. But back then, the U.S., uh, these aviators, 112 aviators, the Pentagon said, oh, you guys uh, don't know what you're doing. Uh, they all, all fly, uh, small planes are for us for escorting bombers. So they took it to China and they helped the nationalist Chinas, Chinese fight Japan. And then when Japan law surrendered, then it became the Maoists versus the uh, nationalist China. And they're in Taiwan now. So there's this interesting arc, historical geopolitical arc, I think, where a lot of these pilots, flying tiger pilots, uh, began to patrol, help patrol uh, Taiwan against an invasion from PRC. So interesting who your enemies are one day, they could be your, they could be your friends uh, and allies uh, the next day. It seems to be the history of, of our uh, country. Do you see more flying tiger stories coming out of this? Other stories that you might maybe uncover from people who used to fly these airlines and uh, some of the other adventures? They're, they're absolutely. They started in 1941, and the airline or the, the squadron, which has been called the most successful fighter squadron in history of aviation, no bar none. And yeah, Black Black Sheep Squadron was a spinoff of that. And then they were acquired by FedEx, by Fred Smith, acquired them in 1989. So you have that 48-year uh, sweep. And even today, FedEx is still the embodiment of that ethos. You get it there on time. Fred Smith, he was, he was a hero. He was a Navy. He was a platoon, Marine platoon leader. And then he, he re-enlisted in, in Vietnam and became a Navy a Marine aviator. There's, there is 70 years, really, 80 years of history of this ethos of bravery and service above self and it, it and they were leaders they were early female pilots before a lot of the other airlines of female so there there is a rich body of i could only i could only really touch upon some of the headers almost some of the bullet points but it was mm-hmm. all centered around this one incident which was it was the number one story in the world for 72 hours and then it disappeared it just disappeared the cuban missile crisis hit the, the files were stolen and uh uh, and, and, and if it was the CIA, they didn't want it in the news either. So you know, who the heck knows? It was all a Flying Tigers uh, headquarters was in a, was in a place. It was in a called the Lockheed Air Terminal in Burbank yeah. headquarters. So the Lockheed plane four crashes uh, in 1962. Flying Tigers was headquartered in the Lockheed Air Terminal. The Skunk Works just up the street where they were uh, working on trying to get funding for the SR-71 Blackbird. So there was a lot of. Murky stuff going on, not casting aspersions on anybody or making any defamatory claims. Who knows what was going on? Who knows? Yeah, the government's always up to something. Them and the CIA. Never trust those people. I'm just kidding. Anyway, I don't want black helicopters to come pick me up tomorrow. Right. right we right. heard you uh, said something about the CIA, Chris, on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> come with us. We have a place in Poland for you in the right. basement somewhere. No, right. I'm just kidding. This is awesome. This sounds like a fun, great read and a suspenseful read and a story about adventure. This is like a. This is like uh, Captain Sully Part One. 
or something. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's an interesting way of, of, of putting it. That is yeah. way of putting it. Yeah. Definitely. I'm just surprised they had all the good stuff to survive back in those days. I guess they did think of everything back then, but you just think of how technologically advanced right. and we still lose planes in the sea that disappear. I think there's uh, one plane we never have found. Uh, right. There, there are a number of planes that have the one, the, the uh, Tiger Flying Tiger 739 was never found. Uh, oh, really? It was never found. It crashed the same year in, in off either Guam or I think off 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 Guam and left Travis Air Force Base. Two planes left the same day within hours of each other. Both of them, one was damaged, one was lost forever. So you're right, but no flight data recorder, no 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 voice data recorder, no no data recorder, none of that stuff. They had no GPS. People on board were smoking, puffing nonstop. Paul Malls Winston. Can you imagine the, the quote-unquote stewardesses? They were called. They had to retire if they got married. They had to retire at age 32, and they were some of the bravest people on board. Absolutely, these stewardesses were just—they saved a lot of lives. Remarkable heroism by everyone on board, men, women, every nationality, just about from Syria, African American, Syrian American, you name it, German American. Remarkable heroism across the board. You know, this sounds like it might be a great movie too. You mean you can have Tom Hanks do it too? He did Sully. I'll let you. I'll let you uh, run with that one. Yeah. There you go. Well, yeah. Let's see if we can get you. Spielberg. He's a great actor. Love him. Love him. He's a great actor. Love him. There you go. Yeah. I, he's. This sounds like it might be up his movie. Plus, it'd be a beautiful movie if they did a period piece at the time. It was stuff they did back then was so elegant, and beautiful, especially in in flight travel. It, it, it was all the beautiful designs, the beautiful design of JFK Airport, which was Idlewild at the time. The mad, the whole Mad Men, that whole, that whole, the, the muscle cars, the beautiful T-Birds and Mustangs. You're right. The design and the, it was a whole different aesthetic back then. Very interesting aesthetic. Yeah. Did they ever recover the plane, or is the plane still at the bottom of the Atlantic somewhere? They've never, reco- they've never recovered the plane. So they really had all they had in terms of. Physical forensics were some life uh, vests, some life rafts, torn clothing, stuff like that. One, it, w- it was really, they had very little to go on, very little to go on. It'd be interesting to have one of those those guys that go out and they find the Titanic and stuff. Right. Be able right. to see if, see if they can find the plane. That'd be great. Right. Book two or something. Yeah. Who, who, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. There you go. Anything further you want to tease on in the book to our listeners? I just, uh, it's just been a real privilege to, to, to try and, uh, bring this story forward because there was so much genuine, you know, authentic, humble heroism on this flight with just these people, men, women, and children. And so much of what is trotted out these days about heroism and courage, it's just, it's the celluloid variety. And this is the real stuff. And for no one to have known about it, except their families, and especially so much the high incidence of PTSD and stuff, it fed into it. Why haven't they wouldn't get no one got, they didn't get paid, they didn't get workers comp, they did it was all the all those things that developed afterwards we think about today, none of that stuff. So the, the wow. survivors guilt, some of them, why did I survive? Why did my husband die? Why did my it's a remarkable, really privilege to to be a part of it. Wow. It's amazing, man. And and you're married. <laughs> <laughs> to the story. So that's pretty awesome, man. This is great. So give us your plugs, Eric, as we go out so that people can look you up on the interwebs and find out more about well, you I and pre- order the book. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm on uh, uh, follow us, please on Twitter and Facebook. You can connect me with, with me on LinkedIn and our, our uh, site, tiger in the all the buy buttons, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Indie bound. They're, they're all available there. And there's also additional information, not in the book, book could mm. everything about the rescuers, survivors, crew members, if you're interested there as well. 
There you guys go pick up the book. You can get it wherever fine bookstores are sold. Eric, thank you very much for spending time with us. We're definitely honored. Congratulations on your new book. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Tiger in the Sea, the ditching of Flying Tiger 923 and the desperate struggle for survival. Pick that baby up. It's just uh, coming off the presses now so you can enjoy it. Be the first on your block to say you read it. Also, see the video version of this at youtube.com for it says Chris Foss. Hit the bell notification button. Also, you can go to all of our groups on Goodreads, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, all those different places as well. Refer to the show to your friends, neighbors, relatives. We certainly appreciate it. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time.